guys, Bella here. <laughs> Welcome for the bonfire. Hey guys, Hide and Seek is now on Patreon. If you'd like to learn how to support the work we do, please visit www.patreon.com backslash hide and seek podcast. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive rewards. Rewards include live events, early access to video trailers, ad-free episodes, never-before-seen videos, behind-the-scenes video and photo content, along with extended and never-before-heard interviews. My team and I would be honored to have you. Again, visit patreon.com backslash hide-and-seek-podcast. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed by guests on the Hide and Seek podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or positions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Would you like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community? Would you like to share your thoughts with other listeners? Join us in the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Material heard on the Hide and Seek Podcast is intended for adult listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Sweet dreams are made of this. 24-Hour News Aid's Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter. I can tell you where she most likely is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty fun. They're pretty freaking gruesome. I kept... All the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany, I have all of them. I have everything. I told myself I'd kill all them motherfuckers, and I was going to have my people fucking take care of it. I'll just say Brittany's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Because this little town around here would be hard to hide something like that. Because eventually everything comes out. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3, Part 3, The Final Chapter. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys. In 2022, Ashley used a laptop that was loaned to her by Desiree, a friend of Cage's. After months of effort, Desiree was able to provide the laptop to the team. The laptop contained over 2,000 text messages, pictures, and voice searches. And yeah, of course, I read every text message. Key findings from the messages included Eric sending a text to Brittany's phone on December 25th, 2018, with the message get lost phone. 
On December 31st, Eric messaged his mother about getting new sneakers, leading to a conversation that ended with Eric purchasing the new sneakers with his father. On January 5th, Ashley messages someone, needing Wi-Fi. She needs Wi-Fi to hack more of Brittany's accounts. On January 17th, Ashley sent the picture of the bottom of a Puma sneaker on a printer deck, followed by a photo of footprints in the snow with similar tread markings being sent to her. Ashley replied with her show, likely meaning her shoe. On January 19th, Ashley texted Larry and JJ, informing them of their lack of support. This motivates her to demand Larry to make his remaining payments to her for the Aztec he was in the process of purchasing from her. She tells JJ to get her phone back to her immediately, and then proceeds to tell the both of them to forget that they knew her. Larry responded, mentioning his presence at the door and expressing his feelings towards Ashley. Ashley replied, stating her fear for her life due to Eric's actions. Incidentally, while Eric is at Ashley's door with a bat, he sends her the link to a music video via YouTube. If you don't know it, look it up. It's called There Will Be Blood by Mike Bars. After you view it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I will warn you, it's graphic. Also in the last episode, I shared with you that Ashley was refusing Eric's phone calls, even though he told her that he was calling with information about Brittany. On January 22nd, Ashley texted someone, expressing the belief that they needed to find Brittany before Eric did, indicating that Ashley thinks Eric knows Brittany's whereabouts. I shared more how things went down on January 22nd between Ashley and Glide. Ashley accused Glide of viewing her as an object of desire, to which Glide responded by dismissing her claims and suggesting she was jealous of Brittany's attention. He maintained that no one ever had tried to harm Ashley and believed that she wanted to be special. In response, Ashley messaged Eric S., informing him that Glide was involved in Brittany's disappearance and his friend was the one who took her from the gas station. We also heard from the individual who introduced himself as Z. My conversation with Z was emotionally charged, filled with anxiety, and filled with vague information. Z claimed that he met Brittany and Eric S. in 2018, at a party where things escalated and Eric pulled a gun on him. The partygoers kick Eric out, and Brittany went along with him as she was scared. Z says this is the last time he saw them. Z then shared that shortly after meeting them, he committed a burglary with two other men and was subsequently arrested on October 24, 2018. He spent four years in prison until his release in 2022. Z warned me that I was getting involved in something that I didn't want to be a part of, and that there was more to this than I would ever know. When I asked Z why Eric had pulled a gun on him at the party in 2018, he said Eric had been heavily intoxicated, was storming through the house, yelling, and pulled a gun on him without skipping a beat. Z revealed that they killed Brittany over $40. When I pressed him to explain how he knew it was $40 and who they were, all he could say was that they told him that there was more than one person involved and that this guy was worse than the devil. At this point, Z told me that he had been locked up with this guy and when the guy asked if he had heard about him, Z said he hadn't. 
The guy then directed Z to look up Brittany Shank and to learn about him. I brought the conversation back to the $40. I asked Z again for more details, and he told me that they had told him everything, including what they had done to her. Z asked me, how was I going to protect him and his family? He said they had told him that Brittany owed them $40 and didn't pay on time. So they kidnapped her. He gave me a location where it is said. Z then shifted the narrative and said that he was pretty sure he had picked Brittany up in Sturgis and given her a ride one time. In this version of his story, he said that he was making money by working as an unofficial taxi. When I asked Z about the mystery man and pressed for a name, he told me that if he mentioned their names, he would be dead. But eventually, he gave me a name. He continued on to tell me that Brittany never went about missing from Sturgis, that she was taken to the back road. Z told me that several people in his life had passed away, and he attributed those deaths to being involved in this case. What I can tell you is that, while there have been several deaths, we don't know the relationship those people had with the Skyler or Z. And furthermore, what we found is that these deaths all appear to be a result of overdoses. Z told me everything he had been told had been to throw him off. Using Skyler's real name, I asked Z if he knew him or if he recognized the name. He told me he had no idea who Skyler was. After a few moments to think, he came back with another name, asking me if this was Skyler's real identity. Negative. In the other words of Z, the person who's on my podcast and telling me all this information is someone he was incarcerated with. This makes me think it's Skyler. Z elaborated when I didn't put things together and told me that he met the key figure responsible for Brittany's disappearance. Z shared three places where he said Brittany's remain could be. We come back to the $40, but Z holds out again and brings it back to the message he had received in prison. He supplies me with the name. You don't ever want to owe me 40. I make people disappear over 40. What do you think I would do for 100? This is what Z says the man he met in prison told him. There's no doubt, Z's testimony is rather complex and filled with inconsistencies, and it's understandable that it's challenging to form a concrete opinion based solely on his account. His story is riddled with vague details and conflicting information, which makes it difficult to ascertain the truth. However, it's important to remember, his testimony could still hold some validity. Therefore, it's crucial to cross-verify his claims with other reliable sources of information. But this doesn't make sense. You can't force the shoe to fit. Z loses me when he recently messaged me and writes, I know where Brittany's body is. I'll spare you guys. Speaking of leads, I have one more interview to share. I won't give you my thoughts beforehand. This lead fell on my lap. Laron. Disappear. Hey, what's going on? 
first off, I love your podcast. And, you know, even though some other stuff made me question, I'm like, you know what? I have to talk to this guy. Obviously, you have my attention. Can you just take me back to the beginning and walk me through it? Yeah. So when I... So beginning with a little bit of my past, the things I used to do in Sturgis, I used to be one of the biggest drug dealers in Sturgis, but without being seen. Heroin, mask, coke, weed into Sturgis, actually Michigan, Ohio, and Wisconsin. So I was always back and forth from down south to up north. With that being said, you know, Brittany hit me up one day because at that time when she hit me up, me and her known each other for a while. She knew what I did and she just simply asked me, you know, is there a way I can help around? I'm like, with what? What's going on? You know, Eric, her husband at the time, you know, they were getting into it, something, Something happened. She didn't want to tell me about the car crash. She said after after something happened with the vehicle she was in, she was trying to contact Eric, and Eric got mad at her and saying a whole bunch of stupid shit like um, called her a whore, bitch, and something about he wanted to kill her because you know she cheated on him or some bullshit, which I really didn't like care about. Um, but I asked her, like, well, what do you need me to do? I just need to get away. Like, okay, fine. Where do you need to go? I can, you know, take you anywhere. She didn't really 100% say where she wanted to go until I gave her options. So I, I'm the one who told her about Wisconsin. I'm the one who told her about um, I can take you either up north for a bit, take you down south, you know, to cool down and get you away from everybody. But before we left, I ended up getting, giving her one of my burner phones, the Samsung um, that, you know, that was brought up in your podcast, which that's what made me think. I'm like, hold on. It's like, that's my phone. I know all of my phones. I know all of my burner phones I have. What is happening and where is he going with this? So that, you know, struck me right there. I'm like, huh. So I gave her a phone, gave her some money, got her some clothes and shoes and stuff because she was still like shoeless. She actually had like some cheap old Walmart slides on. But I told, kept telling her, I was like, you know, you know, if I take you somewhere, you're going to have to come back. You know, you have kids, you know, people are going to be worried about you. She's like, oh, I promise you I'm, I'm only going to be gone for a while. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Just keep in contact with me, which she, she did. You know, I'm not going to lie about that. She actually kept in contact with me quite, quite often, you know, to make sure she had, you know, things she needed, money, food-wise, um, a little place to stay. And I told her if anything... Like, if anybody found you, like, if Eric found her, because she was really worried about Eric. That I had a place down in Texas that I did a lot of running, and that had a, it was a safe house. And if she needed it, then I could take her to it. 
And she's like, okay, well, if I need it, you know, I'll let you know. I'm like, okay, cool, that's awesome. I'm not sure if I can say this. But when she did contact me back about going to Texas, I personally didn't take her there, but I gave her the location, where it's at, how to get there, who to contact to get her there. I'm not sure if she's still down there or what, but last time I talked to her was, like I said, about two, almost two years ago. Um, she was doing perfectly fine. Um, last thing I remember, she was actually pregnant again. Um, what else? Um, she was clean. She didn't do no more drugs. So that was, you know, I was actually pretty happy about that. But the simple fact that you know, Eric was threatening her, you know, that right there didn't sit right with me because me and Eric had history before because I dated his sister. He didn't like that, you know. So it was, it was just all craziness. And when insurgents people are saying, "Oh, Britney's missing," you know, there's two Britneys, and you know, not two Britneys, but there's a lot of Britneys and Sturgis. But there was a Britney that was missing for a while. So that's why I was thinking people were talking about. It. I'm like, like, why y'all bringing that up? Like, that is very, very, very old, you know. And I just left it at that, but I didn't put two and two together at the time because of what I was going through. So when you told, well, well, when, who was it that told me actually? Jessica, the chick named Jessica, like her best friend told me that she was missing. And I'm like, Brittany who? Like, there's so many Brits. And he's like, she's like, your ex Brittany. I'm like, oh. And I just left it at that, deleted my Facebook. They want nobody, you know, contacting me about it because I, like I said, I didn't want to get implicated for anything for, you know, just helping a friend out, you know? You said, so, just, yeah. just real quick, you said Jessica made contact with you or her best friend? Just, yeah, just at the time, I remember Jessica, I'm not sure what her last name is now. They were best friends. Okay. Some um, I, her last name starts with an E or something like that. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um, I just know it's Jessica. And Jessica had sent you a message on uh, some sort of way, and she was asking about your ex. Yeah. So. Yeah. So me and Brittany, we uh, we were fooling around a bit before she got married and had kids and all that. You know, when she was in high school. After after all that, me and her, you know, squashed everything, but became, still became, you know, good friends. And Eric's sister at the time during high school. And I'm not sure what was up with Eric at the time, but I believe he was like a closet racist or something like that. But he just never liked me. About like the halfway, I like paused. It. I was like, "Yeah, I need to contact this guy like ASAP." So, so yeah. I wrote down some notes. So I just want to kind of go over some of the stuff that you'd walk me through. So again, I thanks for for explaining it. But 
let's go back to just on November 30th because it sounds like you're referring to her wearing um, as you refer to them as like Walmart slides that they were just some cheap old slides you said yeah some cheap old slides I'm not I'm not saying she got them from Walmart I'm just saying they just look like cheap Walmart slides I mean what color were the slides they're like um, I would say like a dark navy blue or something like that almost black she like I actually remember what she was wearing exactly at the time. She had some black leggings on. She had a sweatshirt on covering up scars. And that's about it. And if anybody knows me, you know, if you're my friend, I'm not gonna let you just either walk around or be around and it's cold outside and just a hoodie, you know. I'm going to do as much as I possibly can to help, you know, a friend out. Yeah. So I personally took her, I want to say December 18th of that year. To it was like right on the border. Do you remember her wearing black leggings, some mm-hmm. darker colored slides? Yep. Did you say a sweater or, uh, or a jacket? Like or a hoodie. A hoodie. A hoodie. Yeah. Did you by chance know the color of the hoodie? And if you don't remember, I don't want you to feel like you need to guess either. If you don't remember, you know what? Like right now, it's it was like a brightish color. I don't I'm not sure exactly the colors. Like more on the neonish side. I can't really a hundred percent recall. I just remember like wasn't laughing at her, but I kind of chuckled. I'm like, girl, it is cold as hell outside. Why are you wearing this? Like, walk me down that. She approaches you, you're helping her out, you're assisting her. You notice she's wearing, you know, nothing but like, enough. I mean, it's cold, right? I imagine it's cold outside. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me like, where do you interact with her at? So people in Sturgis, they know who I am. Anybody, if anybody knows who I am, I guess she's been trying to get help from a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people. So when she contacted me, she was like almost crying. So I'm like, okay, well, before you start still hysterically crying, where you at, you know, so I can actually talk to you, you know, face to face instead of over phone or through text. You know, so I met her at Village Manor in Sturgis. So we sat there for about good, I want to say hour talking and, you know, going back and forth. You know, we were smoking a little bit of weed, you know, just to calm her down. You know, I told her like, hey, just smoke a little weed. You know, you need to calm your jets for a second. You know, you're a little bit hysterical. Just calm down, breathe. We can talk about it. So we sat for an hour. She was, she like said, she didn't want to tell me about the accident itself because I asked her, I'm like, why are you dressed like this? You know, she almost slipped up because she said Sheldon. I'm like, who is that? And she didn't, she didn't tell me who that was, but she was like, oh, I'm just wanting to get away from um, Eric because if Eric finds out you know, what I've been doing, he's going to kill me. And I'm like, well, we can't have that happen like at all regardless if you know if me and her are friends or not i can't have you know a friend be threatened like that 
So I was like, well, what do you need me to do? She's like, I just need help. I just, you know, I'm like, okay. Gave her about a couple hundred bucks at the time. And I was like, well, if you need anything else, you know, I gave her one of my burner, burner phones. Like here, here, you can have this. You know, don't let nobody have it. Don't let nobody know you have it. You know, I'm the only one who has this number. You know, if you need to contact me, just text me 911 and I will come get you. Don't even need to call me. You know, I want to say, like I said, about December-ish, that's when I got a text from her from that number. It was like, she texted 911. like, okay. Is this the... Sorry to interrupt you, but is this the like the 18th that you said? December 18th? Yes. Yes. December 18th is actually the day we left. I want to say the 15th, between the 13th and 15th is when I actually got the text. So I told her, okay, let me, you know, move some things around, you know, make my few runs and then, you know, I could take you where you need to go. Took her to, um... Oh, dang it. What's the city? So what it was called? I took her to. Why there? That was the closest place I can, not the closest place, but the one place I know nobody would, you know, harass her or Eric wouldn't find her. You know, because Eric didn't know nobody up there, you know. What's the name of the place? Just something. Oh, it was so long ago. But it was literally like, I want to say about 45 miles away from the border. Of I have to check my geo track to see what it was, but it was a minute ago. So I took her there and only how I know about these places because of, like I said, what I, you know, used to do with, with that being said, you know, I'm like, you know, if somehow, some way Eric gets a hold of you or finds you, let me know. Or if anybody that you don't want around you, let me know and we can handle it from there. Felt safe at the time. And like I said, some time went by and she contacted me again. And I gave her the second location just in, like, just in case if anything happened. But I didn't think it would go that far for her to have to go down to Texas. So you told her to contact you while she was in. Yeah. To contact you if something, if she felt concerned like, that because she was discovered by Eric or because. Yeah. Okay, so then why did why did she why did she reach out to you again once you had already taken her to Wisconsin? Um, from what I can recollect, um, I personally didn't know she had warrants at all. Like I don't ask those kind of questions, you know, to any anybody, you know. So apparently, something must have happened where, you know, she got police contact and you know, so it's like well. She really, like I said, she didn't want to get fully into the story because, like I said, she was skittish and just very worried that, you know, something bad is going to happen. And I kept re reassuring her, there's nothing bad will ever happen to you as long as I know for a fact you're okay. 
there's something that's gonna bad gonna happen. Um, so when she made her trip to Texas, because I personally didn't take her. Um, I told her to make sure to let me know that she was safe because I was technically was going to be down that way eventually so I can check up on her, you know, drop some food off or, you know, whatever she needed. And she's like, okay. And last, actually, I can actually check the last message I sent to that phone was actually right after I messaged you, was like, hey, get a hold of me. And I seen it didn't like reply, but it popped up, said seen. Can so you send obviously that phone is that yeah, it's it it was still active and everything like that. Can you send that to me real quick? Uh, yeah, let me try. Appreciate it. Uh, it's on it was actually on Snapchat. Uh, let's see if I can Damn it. Nope. She has it set to all the messages gone after. Can you send me the profile? Yeah. One second. Uh, uh, uh. Damn it. I'm going to make sure I get the right Brittany because I have literally like five Brees on my Snapchat. Okay. And just like that, he doesn't call back. My interview with LaRon takes a turn for the worse. He's no longer answering my calls, and I've sent him multiple messages in a desperate attempt to convince him to tell the truth. Laurent claims he transported Brittany who expressed fear from Eric to a safer place up north. However, Laurent's story takes an unexpected turn when he reveals that Brittany eventually made her way down to He claims to be unsure of who took Brittany from there. Laurent's sudden exit and lack of follow-through after our call leaves me with a lingering suspicion. Why would he claim to have seen a missing person if it didn't actually happen? Three. I called and messaged Laurent multiple Laron. times. I Call told him Laron. I'd be sharing this with law enforcement. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Two, six, your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Two, six, nine, two, two, one. To leave a callback number, press five. Laurent, this is James giving you a call. I have that interview recorded. I'm going to give you until tomorrow morning. I have no other choice but then to contact law enforcement and share that. I would rather you call me so we can have a better understanding about what that was that you shared with me today. I'm calling tomorrow morning if I don't hear from you. 
doesn't want to answer to me, he can answer to them. It's disheartening to find ourselves in this situation where we have to closely examine someone's every action to determine their motives and honesty. There are countless accounts surrounding what happened to Brittany on November 30th, 2018, including Skylar's and Z's testimonies, the incidents at Don Hills and the Person B's property. I've never encountered a case like Brittany's before. The process has been time consuming, involving countless hours of investigation, interviewing and researching. There have been moments when I felt disoriented and unsure, questioning my ability. But then, I can almost hear Brittany's voice in my head. Her words often accompanied by her signature shit-eating grin. I miss her so much. When you lose a child, it just... It makes you feel like you failed them. I just hope wherever she's at, she's doing well. It's been nearly two and a half years since I delved into Brittany's mysterious case. From the dirt back roads of Sturgis to countless twists and turns along the way, our journey has spanned over 20,000 miles and 51 episodes. Each trip, each second of every episode, each conversation, and each clue has been a step closer to understanding Brittany's truth. We find ourselves standing before the wall of suspects, a collage of faces and stories that have become all too familiar. It's time to take a critical look at each of them, to dissect the facts and confront the theories. We're on the brink of narrowing down this complex web, and I'm here to share my latest findings and insights. Let's delve into the heart of the mystery. We're going to start with the suspect list over the season, and where I stand today with them. We start with Daniel, a.k.a. Cage, Brittany's ex-boyfriend. There were many concerns about Daniel when I came into this, but you don't really have to look that hard when he's in Florida. He's got alibis. Is he easy to point the finger at? Sure. Does Cage carry the bad boy stigma? He embraces it. But like I told Cage recently, He's like a bull in a china shop. It was his biggest asset. Flying under the radar, that's a challenge for him. It's because of who Cage is and his personality that leaves the impression on Brittany's younger two cousins that they can both confidently say, we know who Cage is. He was not mystery man. Then we have Curtis Pauly, 
aka Pocket. Polly Pocket. He's an interesting one. Yeah. Allegedly. He dated Ashley after cutting his tether. As we all know, Pockets is arrested November 29th, the day before Brittany goes missing. What was important about Pockets' interview, he shedded light on the true dynamics between Ashley and Brittany's relationship, witnessed the two interact with each other, carried the burden of Ashley's insecurities while she accused Pocket of fucking Brittany. Pocket flips the role when he tells me him and Brittany picked up the vibe that something was going on between Eric and Ashley. Yeah, I get it. That's Ashley's ex-lover. Of course he's going to have something to say. Is he lying? When I started investigating Brittany's case, the biggest boogeyman of them all, Chuck Allen. It all started at the chicken farm. It's not long after Chuck's caught on camera moment, law enforcement becomes aware of this, that Chuck is pulled over and apprehended for unrelated charges. Law enforcement takes the lead on Chuck seriously. They want his DNA. They ask for a mouth swab. Chuck does it without hesitation. They want his Cadillac. They want to test and see if Brittany's DNA is in there. Is Chuck concerned at all about this? No. He just wants to know when he gets his car back. They want him to take a polygraph. Not a problem, he says. Round one, Chuck's poly results, undetermined. Chuck's not phased. He's up for round two and passes. What else do you want the guy to do? Then there's Don Hill. Early on, Don's name was one of the ones that kept resurfacing. Don's reputation precedes him. His house, a notorious hub for unruly parties and illicit activities, it was whispered to be a den where drug flowed as freely as the conversations. Hidden in the shadows of its basement. Counterfeit money making. So I decided to track Don down myself. And that's when I uncovered the discrepancy. Don adamantly denies any knowledge of JJ. JJ tells the strikingly different story. But that's it. That's the one contradiction. When I talked to Don, when faced with my questions, Don's response was unexpected. He agreed to take a polygraph test, asserting his willingness to prove his innocence. There's no evasion, no shadows to hide. He's out in the open. He tells me he's not hiding. He's just waiting for the green light from law enforcement to fulfill his promise on taking the polygraph. Then I was told about Robert Porter and how the tragic death of Kimberly Dyer may be connected to Brittany's case. Robert and I speak directly. I ask him questions about Kimberly's case. Still, I don't see any connection. Then there's Ashley's number one vote, Eric Glide. If you guys recall, Eric Glide was the one recorded by Ashley and JJ. Eric claims that he never met Brittany, never sold to her, nothing. There was BJ, also known as BJ Buona. He was willing, cooperative, answered my questions. Even when things seemed to be upside down, BJ stuck through it. And we figured out that he was in jail on November 30th. We heard all sorts of stories about Saudi McWaters. I get it. It's easy to point at someone's rap sheet and say, hey, look over there. That's kind of like Saudi here. I'm not here to defend his actions. 
I'm here to find out if there's any connection between him and Brittany's disappearance. During our interview, I get another green light. Sonny's willing to take a polygraph. He denies knowing or ever meeting Brittany, says that the accusations that he's heard are all lies. Chris Giddens and Zach Kaner, aka Pablo Escobar of Sturgis. Zach and Chris are both questioned by law enforcement. They provide their maps location from Google. Zach and Chris aren't let off that easy. They're both asked to submit to a polygraph. They both agree and pass the polygraph test. And I'd like to add, in the two-year span that I've been working on Brittany's case, Zach hasn't skipped a beat once. Anytime I call, he answers. Then there was Larry, also known as Ashley's brother, a.k.a. Raven. Larry was locked up when Brittany went missing, so that eliminates him. But I still believe you know more than you realize. Then we have the three amigos, Sheldon, Eric, and Thor. All three boys lined up, answered questions, provided their statements to law enforcement, Timelines checked out. When we look at Sheldon's communication with Brittany, we don't see a jealous, angry, controlling man. We see a loving and compassionate man towards Brittany. Somebody who's willing to walk next to her in the rain. Someone to talk to her and give her advice through the hardships that she goes through in life. Regardless if that's with him or another man, he's always been a friend. All the names that I have just read off to you, they are the individuals who I have removed from my suspect board. Can that change? Absolutely. But until you show me different, let's continue to focus on where the facts are. First up is Jeffrey. Let me first share with you guys that I've been continuing to try to get a hold of Jeffrey for some time now. I've asked him for a follow-up interview because some things don't add up. Jeffrey continues to duck and dodge. The last time we spoke, I started to confront Jeffrey about his whereabouts on November 30th, because I got testimony from someone saying, you weren't babysitting your sister's kids. According to him, he had to come find you. Is what I'm being told about Jeffrey the truth? I don't know, but it's difficult not to raise an eyebrow when someone's avoiding you. After Jeffrey's interview, people started reaching out, sharing that Jeffrey was more of a runner than he let on. Then there's Justin Gayhart, aka Rabbit, aka Jason Spade. The list continues. Zach Hively, JJ Fox Jr., Ashley Hooley, and Eric Schenk. Eric, Brittany's husband, slipped through the cracks, and for years, Eric's flown under the radar. How the hell does this happen? And how many more years would have gone by? Who knows? And I'll say take this as you wish. If it weren't for the letter campaign, I can confidently say Eric was not going to be interviewed. The support from the Sturgis community and followers of Hide and Seek created a wave that couldn't be ignored. And in the last two years, we've shared in our own major discoveries getting the case file from St. Joe County. This allowed us to see what law enforcement was working with. We had the GPR at Don Hills, followed by the cemetery, and then Person D's house, 
We were able to narrow down the time when Brittany got gas on the 30th. How the receipt got into Ashley's car still remains a mystery. There was Eric and JJ's traffic stop. When watching the cop cam, we spot Brittany's Samsung J327 in Eric's possession. We get taken to school by Mr. Tobias himself. He then turns around and offers his services to both counties, St. Joe and Thurston. We had our first experience with Brad, the polygrapher who completed two polygraph exams for us. Search and Rescue Canine Peace River assisted us searching areas of interest. Then we had Desiree's laptop that was sent to us. Now it's in the sheriff's hands. This season, we had a chance to meet two individuals that came into this with the same intentions as me. John Rimes. We heard his side of the story. The same goes for Rockford. His conversation history with Ashley was very informative. It laid the groundwork for our second trip to Sturgis in February of 2022. I'll say, after my interview with Rockford, it was exactly what I needed to hear before returning to Sturgis and confronting Ashley. Something else I'm working on. If you recall my interview with Josh V, aka Dutchy, his testimony was that he was home at the hotel with his wife the night Brittany went missing, and that he told Brittany he couldn't sell to her. Dutchy also told me that the security system running at the hotel was working, but the device was damaged and the film was lost. I'm excited to share with you that I got my hands on that DVR. We're working on it. When I throw everything I have at the list of suspects, rumors, theories, hearsay, it's the facts that we stand on. And this brings us to the final segment of episode 51. I want to break down significant moments, aligning all the parties and their activities leading to December 1st. If you ever wanted to take notes, now's the time. Let's begin. October 11th. Text messages between Brittany and Ashley. Ashley shares with Brittany that Hively was threatening to come over when she said not to. October 12th. Ashley asks Brittany if she could front her for money to get more dope. It appears Ashley takes offense to Brittany not fronting her for dope. And in return, Ashley then increases her prices from 40 to 50. And she tells Brittany, it won't be like this for long. October 13th, Brittany JPay messages to Zach. Brittany writes, I lost everything, and it's taken me almost two years to rebuild that fuck up and halfway figure out my purpose in life. Eric is finally filing for a divorce. October 15th, Brittany messages Zach on JPay. She tells him, my new number, and provides him with the nine digits. October 16th, Brittany expresses her frustration feeling like Zach had something to do with her raid in 2017. October 17th through the 18th. This is when Brittany and Daniel get into a fight, and Daniel threatens Brittany that he's going to turn her in. Brittany turns around and confronts Ashley. Ashley denies Daniel's accusations. On October 19th, Ashley tells Brittany, I met Eric today. Well, technically, I met him the other day. On October 20th, Brittany writes to Zach explaining how her and Eric swapped phones because he needed a working phone and a way to contact his mom while he was gone, so I let him use mine. In a separate interview, Ashley's side of things, 
She tells me that Brittany and Eric swapped SIMs because Daniel had installed stalkerware on her phone, and by swapping SIMs, Eric can deal with it instead of her. Brittany and Zach continued their conversation about the disagreements that arose the previous day. Brittany's feeling anxious and paranoid. And according to Ashley and Eric, they both confirmed that Brittany allowed Eric to use one of her spare phones. On October 28th, Brittany is communicating through her Brittany Keltner account with Sheldon, but we can only see Sheldon's messages today. The two appear to be speaking about Brittany's raid in 2017. Sheldon writes, What's been Eric this whole time? Brittany responds, and Sheldon counters back. So wait, he was the reason you went down? What the fuck? Later on that day, Brittany sends a message to Zach. She writes, I lost my SIM card and tried getting a new one at Boost and it won't work. I also got access to all of Eric's criminal records. And you were right. Just found out all that shit with Eric and Stacy. He's got like six motherfucking charges and his paperwork of every time he's been pulled over and arrested. Needless to say, I'm filing for my divorce this week. Also on October 28th, another noteworthy event occurred. A female named Hazel Savage was added to Britney's Boost mobile plan. The question is, who is Hazel Savage? It's worth noting the possible connection between Selvage, Ashley's last name, and Savage. Am I reaching? Perhaps, but when Ashley confirms this by saying that Savage was her high school nickname, it adds another layer of intrigue. Oh, and another clue that Hazel Savage could be Ashley is a Facebook message Ashley sent to Brittany on the same day stating, Hey, my phone is back on. So, who is Hazel Savage and why was she added to Brittany's Boost account? On October 30th, Brittany gets a new text down number. Fast forward to November 8th. Zach writes Brittany, Tell my brother that no matter what the circumstances may be, mom is not to sit no more than a day in jail. I don't give a fuck what he's got to do. She better be out. What's this mean for Brittany's communication with JJ? November 11th. This is around the time that Eric gets released from jail. November 13th. It's around November 13th that Ashley claims Brittany requested she come by grandma's and pick up the dope Ashley sold because Brittany was pregnant. It's interesting to note that around this time of the month, the copy I have of Ashley's conversation history with Brittany it shows that there's a significant gap in communication between Ashley and Brittany at this time. Specifically, Brittany responds to Ashley's messages on November 9th, but there isn't another exchange between them for nine days. What's strange is that this is the longest period of silence between them since they started communicating, doubling the previous record of a four-day silence that occurred only a couple of times. Interestingly, we've recently received new information from one of Brittany's close friends at the time, a friend that claims to have been with Brittany during this period. And the story she has is interesting. She claims that Brittany and Ashley were at odds, and that Brittany had requested Eric to come pick them up and escort them to Ashley's to get dope. But Brittany refused to go inside. She says that her and Ashley are having problems. So she sends Eric in. November 14th, Zach writes to Brittany, and he's upset. He knows that Brittany's been around Eric. 
He writes, Why are you still doing dumb shit like kicking it with the motherfucker you got a pass with? Zach writes about how Eric put his hands on Brittany and how she's comfortable with that kind of lifestyle. He continues writing, You know how that bitch made motherfucker be feeling towards me and how he be talking on my name and you being around that is disrespectful as fuck. Shit, dog was around you longer than what you were saying he was. He probably was there when I was talking to you. So, if you really want to risk what we have over motherfuckers that clearly ain't worth it, not just Eric either. November 15th, Zach and Brittany continue to argue. Zach tells Brittany that he's not able to call her and then questions her on why his number's been blocked. He asks her if Eric did it. November 16th, similar to the case of Hazel Savage, Eric Schenk was added to Brittany's Boost Mobile plan. According to Ashley and Eric, Brittany allowed Eric to use one of her spare phones, a Samsung SM327. This is the same day that we see the SM327 on Brittany's Facebook account. We believe that she logs off, allowing Eric the capability to log into his own Facebook account. Later on that day, Brittany and Zach continued their conversations about their disagreements. Brittany's feeling anxious and paranoid. Zach tells her she's high. He continues writing, Like I said before, not all your friends are really your friends. But hey, I love how you change your name back. Tell Eric I said what up. Brittany attempts to stand her ground, writing Zach. You want to trip the fuck out because Eric went to Walmart with me? Yeah. I'm not with Eric. And yeah, we had a one night thing a long time ago. Nothing recent. When you see Eric and I are not together and getting a divorce, then you will see I wasn't lying. Brittany and Zach persist in defending their viewpoints, and their argument concludes when Zach writes to Brittany at 10:12 p.m. The shit is dead. It was when you started lying and kicking it with dope fiend rap bitches. Minutes later, Brittany put an end to the nine-day silence between her and Ashley and sent her a private message. November 19th, 12:13 a.m., Brittany takes a selfie with her husband, Eric S. Later that morning, Brittany accompanies Eric to his parents. While there, she receives a troubling message from Kathy, Eric's mother. Ashley provided a screenshot of their conversation. At 9.33 a.m., the screenshot starts with Brittany initiating the conversation, but it's important to note that Kathy's previous message, which prompted Brittany's response, is not visible. Brittany writes, Has he not been home lately, or other than last night or something? Because as far as I knew, he had been. He's been in and out, got home around 7, 7.30. Saturday night, left to get cigarettes, and then came back and slept till 6 Sunday. Left between 7 and 8, was gone till you guys got here this morning. Brittany explains that Eric was assisting on getting her a ride home from work. She tells Kathy, I'll try and talk to him and see what's going on with him. Because as far as I knew, he had been home. Unfortunately, Brittany's text message isn't fully visible for us. The option to click and view all is available only if Ashley had decided to screenshot the entire message between her and Kathy. It would be interesting to delve into the conversation history between Kathy and Brittany. November 20th. It's the morning, and Brittany is at Eric's parents' place. Eric's probation officer is scheduled to stop by, and if Brittany is there, because of legal issues, it could lead to trouble for the both of them. As a result, Eric's father drives Brittany home in the morning. Later on that day, Around 5 p.m., Brittany is trying to figure out what Eric is up to. 
This is when she writes Ashley. I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck Eric's doing. Ashley responds to Brittany by saying he's about to go to the store with me to get some points. Brittany responds, lucky you. In episode 11, we broke down how Brittany appeared to be frustrated during the specific moment. In my perspective, she's picking up on something she doesn't like. A potential connection between Eric and Ashley. At 6.56pm, Brittany searches on Facebook how you know you're with a narcissist. Later on that evening, she writes, Dear Lord, I was with a narcissist for almost the last two years and ends the evening with another post by saying, On God made my night. November 22nd, Brittany spends her last Thanksgiving with her father, Greg. Now, another notable event that takes place on Thanksgiving was a major argument between Ashley and Pocket. After the fight, Pocket left Ashley's place and was nowhere to be found. November 23rd, Brittany sends Ashley a text message informing her that she owes her $25. When Ashley questions this, Brittany responds, Pocket knows. And Ashley reveals to Brittany, Pocket left again last night. I managed to get him home this morning. At the dawn of curiosity, where was Eric on Thanksgiving, particularly when Pocket left Ashley's? November 23rd, Brittany inquires from Ashley if she's got 25, which is code for drugs. Ashley gives her the nod. Brittany then makes her way to Ashley's apartment. It is here that she allegedly tells Ashley, don't let Eric know that I'm here. Brittany proceeds to acquire the drugs and subsequently leaves Ashley's. At some point during this afternoon, Ashley reveals that Eric eventually shows up at her apartment. He arrives after Brittany. And the very first thing he says upon entering is, Don't tell Brit I'm here. 8.18 p.m. Brittany posted on Facebook that her and Sheldon are now dating. Minutes later, Brittany messages Ashley. Hey lady, can we talk for a second? Meet me. I need to talk to you about Eric. He's on a kill himself rampage. We know how the situation unfolds, and the two meet at Walmart. And supposedly... This is the last time that Ashley sees Brittany. It's the following day, November 24th. It's Saturday, and it's a Friendsgiving event. Sheldon and Brittany are headed off to a Friendsgiving event. As per Sheldon's account, he recalls, Brittany and Sheldon stop by Ashley's. He pulls into Ashley's apartment complex and Brittany makes a swift exit, only to return promptly. According to Sheldon's account, they then drive to Walmart to purchase a dish for the gathering. Sheldon vividly recalls pulling into the Walmart parking lot and Brittany admitting that he might be upset with her disclosing this. But she had, in fact, paid off her debt, only to then buy more. This is when Sheldon almost ends the relationship. On October 24th, Brittany pens a message to Zach. In it, she shares her feelings about their relationship and the newfound relationship with Sheldon. She continues to bring up the braid incident and voices her suspicion that Zach may not be completely honest about the situation. Brittany also articulates her frustration and heartbreak over the situation, expressing her desire for things to have worked out differently. Zach writes back. He understands and respects her position. But in response to the raid, he shares his emotions. He shares his feelings. He writes, it completely blows my mind that you still think I had something to do with that. Tell me, Brittany, 
What would I have benefited from setting you up? Absolutely nothing. I've never been in trouble in Indiana, so I couldn't help myself by telling on you if I had. Fact is, most of the shit that they found there was your husband's. And when we left, none of that was even there. You have the paperwork saying that it went down. If you actually pay attention to it, it'll tell you the hints why it's called a motion of discovery. And honestly, I think the motherfucker was trying to set me up and it clearly backfired. I think Eric was jealous. And after he dropped me and Carly off at your van, he went to the Grange and set up a deal to get me. But it backfired. When I left your house, all Eric's shit was with him. Not at your house, where they found it. I'm telling you. 100%. I guarantee it. It was Eric. Or Mark. Maybe both. Also taking place on the 24th of November. Rabbit enters the scene. He sends Eric a message asking, Is your boy still holding out? Eric writes, Let me check but I need to leave and take care of other matters. It continues into the following day. Rabbit reaches out to Eric again. Did your guy drop out of the race or something? Eric responds, no, he hasn't. There are some family issues that have come up at the moment though. I'm very curious about the family matters that Eric's referring to here. Is this about Brittany discussing with Eric her desire to either secure or finalize their divorce? Does this have anything to do with Eric's possible involvement with their raid? Because if you recall, Eric's conversation with Sheldon suggests that the last time he spoke with Brittany, she mentioned having some shit for him. On November 28th, Ashley shares with me the final conversation she has with Brittany. This is when Brittany says, I got 20. Ashley responds with, I got nothing. Brittany counters one more time. Well, I got 50. Ashley says, I need it. Hopefully something will have fallen and I will have something later. Also taking place on the 28th, Brittany declines Zach Hively's friend request on Facebook. November 29th, Brittany attends a job interview and uses Sheldon's car for transportation. At some point in the afternoon, Pocket is apprehended by US Marshals and it doesn't take long that Eric steps in as Ashley's place for support, which also means he reaches out to Rabbit the same day. He calls him at 6.11pm. No answer. Eric writes Rabbit. Eric continues to write Rabbit. My dude is locked up, so I'm in need of someone new to go through. Rabbit responds with, You're always welcome to come to me. But you are. Nobody else. At 8.39pm, Rabbit writes, When you want to get together, been a while, grab a beer, catch up. Eric responds with, Tomorrow, if I can find a car to borrow. November 30th, the day Brittany disappears. In episode 4, I shared at 3am Brittany takes her last video from her Samsung J337. It's of Thor rolling around on Sheldon's couch. At 5am on Facebook, Brittany continues to look up Ashley and Eric. Now if you think back to the polygraph episode... Ashley changes her story here and tells me that she did hear from Brittany on this day, the day she disappeared, November 30th, and that Eric also received bizarre messages. Ashley says Brittany reached out to her, like a friend would, concerned that Curtis Polly, aka Pocket, had been arrested and she saw this on mobile patrol. When I first interviewed Ashley, 
she had no recollection of this conversation between her and Brittany. Not until seven months later, she brings this to light. In the case file, on November 30th at 4.44 p.m., it indicates that there's a call to Brittany from Zach. Brittany could be heard speaking while seemingly walking outside. The background noises include a male voice and children's voices. Brittany discussed with Zach about Pocket's recent incarceration and the subsequent actions of Pocket's girlfriend, Ashley. She also mentions that Eric was engaging in some form of revengeful activities. What was that about, Eric? The duration of Brittany and Zach's conversation isn't explicitly mentioned in the file, but the maximum duration for a call is 30 minutes unless it's peak hours. They can limit you to 10. Without knowing the duration, I feel it's safe to assume that Brittany stayed at Sheldon's. Also that day, Brittany decided to change her hair color from red to black. We see this at 5.26 p.m. when Brittany takes a selfie from inside Sheldon's car. When I shared this picture with Sheldon, I couldn't help but notice his look of concern. He doesn't remember Brittany leaving that way. She looks more dolled up in his words. Following the selfie, Zach calls Brittany a second time. This call, the officer noted that he could hear music in the background, indicating that Brittany was more than likely driving. Brittany informs Zach that she was aware of his concerns and was heading to her grandmother's place to do laundry. She also mentioned a recent conflict that she had with Sheldon. She talked about Sheldon's daughter and his landlord. Now at 5.42 p.m., a third call from Zach. Brittany stated that she was almost at grandma's house. Zach said to be careful. Something I want to point out. Zach contacted Brittany using more than one number. I'd say, if I were law enforcement, I'd want to make sure that all of Brittany's phone numbers were subpoenaed. Especially since TextNow was one of Brittany's primary methods of communication. And it's after her call with Zach ends. At 5.42 p.m., Brittany has 29 minutes until 6.11 p.m. The details of her next moves remain unclear. We do know that she does talk to Josh, a.k.a. Dutchie, and this is when he declines the sale because his wife is present. At 6.11 p.m., Brittany received her receipt after filling up her car with $20 in gas at the Marathon gas station in a small town like Sturgis. Where did Brittany spend those 29 minutes? Did you see her and fail to recognize it? I'd like to throw this out. If you were in Sturgis, Michigan on November 30th, 2018, you might want to check your camera history. You never know what you might find. Consider all camera angles, not just your phone. Brittany has arrived at Grandma's around 6.30, and she's there till a little after 8. Brittany and the mystery man leave Grandma's, and then there's an accident that occurs on Workman and Fawn River. At 8.34 p.m., Ashley's version of Eric's Google history shows him leaving his house and walking to Ashley's around 8.39 p.m. Now by 8.50 p.m., Brittany has made her way from the crash site on Workman to John's and has called 911. At 11.06 p.m., Sheldon's attempting to locate Brittany and his vehicle. He calls Eric and Ashley. No answer. In response to his call, Eric messages at 11.21 p.m. What you call for? Sheldon responds, where's Brittany at? I need to talk to her. Eric replied, 
Couldn't tell you. Haven't talked to her. I thought she'd be with you. And within seconds, at 11.41 p.m., Eric reaches out to Rabbit. Hey, bro. Rabbit doesn't respond. But if you recall, it's around this time that Rabbit's going through the McDonald's drive-thru and is concerned about a specific red vehicle that he believes is trailing him. This is when he takes a video of it. It's past midnight, December 1st. 12.21 a.m. Ashley responds to Sheldon saying, I just saw this in my message request. 1.31 a.m. Eric attempts to call Rabbit again. No answer. Based on what Ashley provided us from Eric's Google takeout, Eric left Ashley's apartment at 1.08 a.m. with her vehicle. The reason for this departure at odd hours was Ashley needed air in her tires. The round trip takes him 21 minutes. He returned to Ashley's at 1.29 a.m. At 1.31 a.m., Eric attempts to call Rabbit again. No answer. According to the data Ashley provided us, Eric stayed there until 2.06 a.m. He then left her apartment and headed home arriving at 2.09 a.m. to his parents' house. The following morning, things picked back up when Eric messaged Rabbit again asking, Hey bro, you busy? That happens at 10.29 a.m. Rabbit responds, Kinda, sorta, for a little bit. What's up? Eric responds saying, I needed a favor. Something that we talked about the other day. Rabbit responds, I'll be free. I'll be home at 45. Eric tells him that works. That gives him time to go check on a car to come see him. Sheldon writes Ashley back, trying to get a hold of Brittany. At 11.29 a.m., Sheldon attempts to call Brittany's Facebook. 11.40 a.m., Eric messages Rabbit, safe to come your way? Rabbit responds, not at the moment, bud. Old lady here. 1.02 p.m., Eric writes to Sheldon, you find her? Eric writes Sheldon again, I don't even live in the same area no more. Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. At 1.02 p.m., Zach sends Brittany a JPay message. He wants to know why Brittany's phone is off. Because Zach has a gut feeling. His message writes to Brittany, Are you sure you ain't kicking it back with Eric again? Because I know when he's around you, you ain't gonna try to be answering the phone. 2.01 p.m. Eric reaches back out to Sheldon and the two exchange in conversation. We covered this in episode 25. At 2.41 p.m., Ashley gets back in touch with Sheldon. She writes, I haven't really talked to her lately. I thought y'all were staying together. Sheldon, that's what I thought too. 3.54 p.m. 3.54 p.m. Eric messages Rabbit again. What's next? Rabbit says, I'm closed for a few days, bud. Dark red Ford, definitely tailed. Have no idea, bro. I haven't even left my mom's. I feel like we've covered this enough. Over the next few days, Ashley and Eric are harboring concerns about Sheldon potentially skipping town. This concern rises to the peak on December 6th, prompting Ashley to delve deeper into the matter. She reaches out to Sheldon's babysitter in an attempt to gather more information. Unbeknownst to the babysitter, unknowingly provided a wealth of information explaining the situation surrounding Sheldon's car 
and its imminent retrieval. We know from the records that Sheldon regained possession of his vehicle on November 6th. So, on November 6th, Brittany was assumed to be alive. She had not been reported missing yet. There was no immediate cause for concern. So, the question that arises, what triggered Ashley and Eric's extensive efforts to track down Sheldon's car? Allow me to throw out another question. If they were so concerned about Sheldon skipping town, why didn't they just call him, like he did with them on the 30th, and again on the 1st? Ashley said many times that Sheldon blocked Eric. That's what motivated her actions to reach out to Sheldon. But you and I both know, that's not the truth. You may have forgot, I have Sheldon's account. The more obvious question is Ashley and Eric. Why were you worried about Sheldon in the Mercury Milan on December 6th, two days before Brittany was reported missing? Oh, and I like how you didn't share with Otten. How you, Eric, and another individual had orchestrated a plan to break into Sheldon's apartment and steal those books. What the fuck are you guys doing? And the only reason why you guys didn't see this plan through? Eric, you got too high. Not only do you guys show zero concern for Sheldon's life, but also his daughter's. For some households, your own. And now it's my turn to tell you who I despise. The both of you. You can claim to crown yourself the best friend. Your actions reflect nothing of it. Moving forward. Greg, Emily, Jessica, Scott, Russ, Colin, James, Victor, Peyton, Madison, Darian, Reese, Caden, Paisley, Serenity. They have us now. We're a community, and we're not going away. We're here whenever they need us. We will continue to pursue the truth on what happened to Brittany Shank. The bus don't stop. Stay vigilant. Keep the bonfire burning. Next time. On Hide and Seek. Would you like to show your support for the Hide and Seek podcast? Find our Instagram and Facebook page by searching Hide and Seek Podcast. Like and follow to hear updates on past seasons as they become available and stay up to date on season three. Find our discussion group by searching Hide and Seek Discussion Group on Facebook.
The Hide and Seek podcast is hosted, directed, edited, and produced by James Basinger. Written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe. Engineered, mixed, and mastered by Nudon's Audio Engineering. Director of Photography is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson. A special thanks to all those involved in our ground team and to our Patreon supporters. Thank you for helping make our investigations possible.